Would you say a prayer with me as we look at the scripture this morning? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we're so grateful uh, just to be in the midst of the life of this school with all of its uh, celebrations and challenges. God, we're, we're thankful that you include us in the work that you're doing in the life of this school. Thank you for this latest opportunity to be part of helping this particular room even do what it needs to do in order to highlight the, the gifts of the children who are putting on performances, God, and the highlight the work of the teachers who are, who are training them and helping them and, um, and all the other gatherings that take place in here, God, that, that we could be part of helping that be better. We're, we're grateful. Uh, continue to speak to us today, God. Help us to hear you and listen and have hearts that are open as we listen to your scripture. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. So we're starting a new series this morning. Welcome, everybody. Glad it's sauna-like, you know. Do a personal fan to the person next to you about every five minutes. It'll make them feel like you care. It won't cool them off that much, but it'll make them feel like you care, okay? Practice that. We're starting a new series where we're gonna talk about everyday ways to talk about God. How many of you have ever found yourself in, an, in a conversation where you felt like you might wanna say something about your faith, but it seemed really awkward or really weird or the only language that you had was real churchy language that you knew the person wasn't going to be able to understand and, and maybe you didn't say anything. Uh, we wanna have a series of conversations here in the latter part of the summer to just say, how do we have regular human conversations with other people about our faith that will make sense to other folks and don't only make sense to other people who speak Christianese, okay? So today we're gonna talk about everyday ways to talk about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Just this last week, I was working with a group of pastors downtown Minneapolis at a conference, and we were finishing the day, and I was walking back to my car downtown, and I was walking with a couple of people, and as I was crossing one of the streets, a gentleman like chased me down, you know, and at first I was like, oh, do I know this person? I don't think so. He starts a conversation with me, uh, starts telling me his story and kind of what's been going on in his life, and asked me a couple of questions. After about three or four minutes of conversation, he says to me, um, you seem really open. You're like a really open person, are you? I was like, I don't know. I mean, I guess. I guess. Thank you, I think. Um, you know, he had told me his name. I told him my name. And, and then he, he's kind of like looking. He's trying to figure me out, right? He's looking at me. He's kind of figuring me out. He says, uh, you know, kind of, what's your deal? Like, he's inviting me to tell him some things about myself. Uh, and, and I just decide, no, I'm not going to do that right now. I don't feel that comfortable doing that right now. So I asked him some more questions and he told me some more stuff about his life. And at the end of the conversation, he just said, hey, thanks. Like sometimes these conversations I have with people downtown don't go very well and they're kind of awkward and you just seem like a really kind person. I'm really grateful, you know. Okay, thank you, Henry, good to know you. And, and I walked on. And as soon as I left the conversation, I thought, now why didn't I have a regular conversation with everyday people that I'm about to preach on on Sunday morning with that gentleman? Why didn't I take the opportunity to say, like, yeah, the, one of the reasons I'm open is because uh, I think that Jesus is an open person and I'm trying to follow Jesus with my life. That I look for opportunities to connect with people because I think that's what Jesus does and invites me to do. I don't know why I didn't, because it's hard to do that sometimes, right? Have you ever felt at the end of a conversation like you really missed an opportunity to share something that would have really helped a person, but you were just too nervous or didn't think it was the right time or didn't have the right language? If so, you're not alone. That's like everybody in the room's experience, including mine. So I'm hopeful that our conversations over the next month or so can help us build a little more capacity to talk about 
the good news of Jesus Christ, to talk about God, to talk about Jesus in ways that make sense to us and make sense to other people as we have those opportunities. So to do that today, I even made you a worksheet. You got a worksheet on your way in today. That makes it an extra special Sunday for those of you who love the worksheets. So take your worksheet out because we're going we're gonna to work through the worksheet as we go through the sermon today as, as a way to help you think about how you might do this in your own life. At the top of your worksheet, it says everyday ways to talk about the gospel. The first step that I want to encourage you to do as you think about this is to write down your own, in your own words, what does the good news of Jesus Christ mean to you? Okay? You're not talking about it with anybody else, just for you, in your own regular language, like not in the Sunday school language or like the, the language you think the pastor wants you to use. In your own words, what does the gospel, which if, if you don't know, that just means good news in English, right? What does the good news or the gospel mean to you uh, in, your, in your own language? Um, over the last couple of years, we've been trying to give sermons on this, so you'll find some on the Mill City website um, about just clarifying how do, we, how do we name the gospel. But I want to do a brief review so that you can fill in this section even as I'm talking if you want to. Uh, the, the simplest way to define the gospel, in my, in my view, is just to say that Jesus is Lord and Savior. Okay? So real simple, one sentence, the good news in five words, Jesus is Lord and Savior. And let me unpack that a little bit for you. So if you go to a, a text like 1 Corinthians 15, so in step one, it asks you, like, what text would you go to to describe the gospel? 1 Corinthians 15 is a really good one. Let me read it for you. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to apostles, and the last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. In our descriptions of this in past sermons, we like to talk about the gospel about Jesus and the gospel of Jesus. Let me tell you what we mean by that. The gospel about Jesus is described in a passage like this one, 1 Corinthians 15. It says things that are true about Jesus and about what Jesus accomplished for us. So things like, Jesus died for our sins. Jesus fulfilled scripture. Jesus defeated death. Those are all things that are true about what Jesus did with his life, death, and resurrection and, and are true for us today in terms of what is good news. Here's another example of a, a passage that describes the gospel about Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, one of my favorites. Verse 16, it says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. 
All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on God's behalf, or we beg you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is one of those passages, again, that describes the good news about Jesus, things that Jesus accomplished. Anyone in Christ is a new creation, right? Something's different about them. They're changed, they're transformed by their faith in Christ. God has reconciled us through Jesus, so the relationship is, is repaired between us and God. Jesus took on our sin, despite not having any sin himself, and offered us forgiveness so that we could be right with God. God gave us a, a mission to reconcile other people and a message to communicate to others that God wants to be reconciled with them, no matter what their background, no matter what their beliefs, no matter what they've done in their past, that's God's desire for relationship with them. So here's another example of the gospel about Jesus, things that are true about what Jesus did on the, and through his life, death, and resurrection. There's also what we call the gospel of Jesus, all right? The gospel of Jesus is in places like Luke chapter 9 and Luke chapter 4. If you want to go and look those up later, you can scribble them down on your worksheet. In those places, Jesus himself says things about what the good news is. He says things like, the kingdom of God is near to you. Now is the time to repent, turn around, and believe the good news. There's going to be justice for the poor, for the widow, for the foreigner. That's coming. It's here now, and it's coming further. Evil is going to be defeated. There's healing available for people who have faith and want healing. And, and, um, and on and on this list could go. Jesus is saying, here are the kinds of tangible things that happen when the kingdom arrives, when the kingdom of God has come near, and it's good news. Another text I want you to scribble down is Titus chapter 3, verses 3 to 8. Go and look at that one later today and see where you see the gospel of Jesus or the gospel about Jesus in that particular text. I'm breezing through this because I want to talk more about how do we talk about this in everyday language, but these are foundational pieces. If we don't understand the gospel ourselves, we have really no hope of communicating it to anybody else in a way that they're gonna understand, right? One of, one of my soapboxes as a preacher, those of you who know me, have listened to me before, know, is that the gospel of Jesus and the gospel about Jesus cannot be separated. They're not different things. They're all part of one whole good news. Just uh, last weekend, Chris and I were not here on a Sunday morning. We were away on, on a day off. And so we were having a devotional time with our kids. And we were talking about this story where Jesus lowers, lowers a guy, or, I'm sorry, his friends lower a guy through a roof. They rip up some poor dude's roof and lower their friend because they couldn't get the friend close enough to Jesus for him to to experience healing, he couldn't walk. And the, in the story, the guy goes through the roof and then Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, you know? And, and you pause for a moment and say, the friends are like, well, hey, that's good, but he really kind of wanted to walk, right? Like the whole point of us taking him through the roof was that he would walk. 
But Jesus first says, your sins are forgiven. And he can tell there's rumblings about whether or not he should be forgiving anybody's sins. So then he says, just so you know I have the authority to forgive sins, go ahead and get up and take your mat and walk out the room. And the guy does. So my kids are at the table and we use a little Bible app to kind of help them visualize the story. And then I said to them, you guys, you have to learn this at a young age. What if Jesus had just forgiven the guy's sins? What do you think would have happened? And they said, well, he probably would have been grateful but bummed that he couldn't walk, right? What if he had just made him walk? And then uh, one of my, my daughters says, well, but then he would still need forgiveness, right? I was like, okay, you're, you're 10, you're nine, you're eight years old. Like, don't let anybody ever tell you different. Jesus wants people to have their sins forgiven and he wants them to walk, both. And so in our church, that's why we try to teach people and experience ourselves regularly God's forgiveness for the things that we've done wrong. And also, we wanna feed all the kids who are hungry and don't have enough food on the weekends. And we don't have to be a church that picks one or the other, we could just do both it seems like that's what Jesus was doing. Amen? You know how helpful it would be in the, in the life of the church? I know many of you come from different church backgrounds. We stopped fighting about whether the gospel of Jesus or the gospel about Jesus was more important. We just gave them both at the same time. It would be very helpful. So let's try to talk about it that way and live it out at the same time. So uh, Tim Keller had a very helpful framework for thinking about um, what the gospel how to think about the gospel as a grid. Here's what he says. He says, the gospel is not about moral conformity. He says, that, that's religion. It's not about a set of moral rules for you to follow. That's not the essence of the gospel. And it's also not about self-discovery, like just trying to help you figure out who you are. He calls that secularism. He says, the gospel is something else altogether. He says, it's a grid through which we see the world. So in the past, we've talked about like putting on kingdom of God lenses. That's how we talk about it with our children in our children's ministry, right? What if the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel about Jesus Christ is, is a lens that we put on to see the world? What would that look like then when we're experiencing these everyday conversations? Here's two different ways to think about the gospel as a grid. I put them on the screen for you. Here's a, here's a possible gospel grid. Start with looking at the world assuming that creation is good, okay? God created things and it was good. That's what the, the book of Genesis teaches us. Also, when we look at the world, we assume that things are broken as a result of sin and evil. And it isn't hard to find examples of that, right? It's hot in here and it will help me if every once in a while you go, even at a murmur level. Yeah, that's, that makes sense to me, okay? Can you do that? <laughs> All right, things are broken and as a result of sin and evil. And then another part of the grid could be God transforms our brokenness through faith in Christ. The Christian story teaches us that change happens through faith in Jesus Christ and a particular story about who God is uh, revealed in Jesus Christ. And then finally, wrong things are being made right and will be made right in the end. Okay, so now, I tried to write this so that it's mostly language that anybody could understand. You don't have to be a Christian to get that. You might need a little bit of explanation on brokenness and faith in Christ, right? 
But other than that, like most people will be like, yeah, do you think creation is good? Yeah. Do you think some things are messed up? Yeah. Do you think we need to make some of the wrong things that are wrong right? Yeah, I do. Do you see that in your everyday life anywhere? Yeah, I do. Okay, as a Christian person, let me tell you about why Jesus matters in the midst of that. Can you see how the grid might help us start to think about the conversations a little bit differently? All right, here's another one. This is just like, I just made these up. There's another grid that might be more helpful to you than the last one, okay? Another way to get at it is, hey, the world is created good. Again, same sort of starting place, right? We messed some things up. Make it a little more personal. I've messed some things up. I know there's some things that I've done in my life that have contributed to, to life being worse for some other people, and I want to own that. We, we, collectively, we have messed some things up. The story of, of Jesus says that Jesus decides, God decides to enter our mess, get in there, get into the messy part of our lives, and transform it. That's the Christian solution to the mess. Not stand with, um, beyond it, not condemn us without engaging it at all, not telling us to change or else. Actually getting in the mess with us is Jesus' story. And then we can be forgiven because of Jesus getting in the mess and be part of God's restoration project. God is restoring the world and wanting the world to be the way that God created it to be. Mostly regular people language, right? Most of it. We will put these, all these slides on the website, so if you want to go grab later next to the sermon, you can. Jesus enters our mess and transforms it or us. So if we think about the world that we live in through one of these grids, like their lenses that we have on, we have a much better chance of thinking about, okay, how would I talk about this with regular people? I wanted to just say one thing or two things about what the gospel isn't, all right? What the gospel isn't. The Jesus gospel can't be an affirmation of everything you already think and everything you already value. Even for those of us who are lifelong Christians, we spend our whole lives listening to the gospel over and over and over and letting it speak to us and challenge us and change how we see the world, change how we see ourselves, change what we know about God, and change how we uh, express our values. It ought to challenge you to think differently, to see yourself differently, the world differently, to value different things, to live your life differently. If your understanding of the gospel doesn't challenge any aspect of your life, then you're probably not hearing the gospel. The story is different from other stories in the world that we're all listening to and hearing bits of. And it invites you to live your life in a different way as you live into this particular story that the Bible is telling. The Jesus gospel requires a change of our heart, the removal of our sin, and a recentering of our values on the things that God values. So this first step on your worksheet is about how do we name what the gospel is in our own language, start to name these grids through which we can view the things that happen in our lives and in the world, and start to think about talking to other people about that. Now, when we start to think about talking with other folks, I wanna look at a story in Acts chapter 17 with you just briefly for a few minutes and see how does the apostle Paul get into conversations with people who aren't like him and don't see the world that he, the way he sees it and get into gospel kinds of conversations with them. So Acts chapter 17, if you wanna pull it up on your phone or in your Bible, that's where we'll be. Here, Paul is in Athens, in Greece, and the story goes like this. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, 
he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. It's like the original 24-hour news cycle back in Athens. They're just hanging out, listening to these things together. So let's just pause there for a second and, and notice some things that Paul's doing, okay? Number one, Paul's reasoning with people in the synagogue and in the marketplace, which is what he had done in every other place that he had tried to go and share the gospel. He understood some of their context. He went to those places and he engaged with them. People heard about it and wanted to know what he was teaching. And so he was brought into a more public conversation. The Areopagus represents the place where all the ideas intersect with each other and people there already valued hearing ideas. I think this is a really important move for us to think about. We can't only have conversations about the gospel in safe Christian spaces that we, we already control and hope that people sort of enter into those spaces to hear somebody tell them about it. We've got to move the conversation into the public sphere, which is a lot riskier and, and, and a lot, um, probably a lot more nerve-wracking for a lot of us, and learn how to say, how does the gospel compare to some of the other stories that are being told uh, in the news world, in our personal conversations, online, around, uh, in, in our workplaces? How do we have public conversations about the gospel. Let's look at how Paul did that, okay? In verse 22 and 23, he starts in. He says, he stood up to the meeting of the Areopagus and says, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. It's like a backhanded compliment, right? Because he thinks they're kind of, their religion is nonsense. I see that in every way you're very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you, you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. Okay, so Paul helps us by saying, start with the things that people already think. This is one of the things that I know most of us get hung up on. How do we just say the thing we already believe, right? Instead, start by asking people questions about what they already think. What do you think is the best life? What do you think the good life is like? What do you think is true about God or not true about God? What does spirituality mean to you? Paul affirms something about their culture. He says, look, I see that you value religion. I see that you value spirituality. That's the same culture that we live in now too. People value spirituality and developing your spirituality. And then he finds an opening, right? There seems to be a spot where you have already acknowledged that you don't know about this one God. Well, let me tell you about the one God that you don't know about. So what if we practice this by saying, what, do we really understand what people already think? People who are even close to you, have you had intentional conversations to say, what do you think is true about God? Why do you believe that? And how does it affect your life? And just start there with a listening, with a listening posture. Let's go on in verse 24. 
He says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far out, far away from anyone. For in him we live and move and have our, our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So Paul starts talking about God. He's describing a God that's different from the gods that he sees in the other place. He describes that God as the one who's created the whole world, given each of them life and breath and opportunity. And then he starts talking about what that God wants for us. And you have to realize that this is really radical at the time. God just wants to know you. God's hoping that you will reach out for a relationship with God, which is really different than a God who demands things from you in order to get something back. Paul even quotes their own thinkers and says, this is what your own people are saying. Both of those quotes are from, from Greek philosophers. This is what your folks are saying. I'm building off of that and pointing you towards a God that is inherently relational, wants to know you, has already expressed love for you, and wants you to reach out for that God. Let me read this last section in verse 29. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this so uh, to everyone by raising him from the dead. So now Paul's in challenge mode. He affirmed them. He built off something they already thought. And now he says, this is uh, a God. Is, the God I'm talking about is not made of stone. It's not made of gold. It's not made of metal. Instead, this is a God that's inviting you to put your faith in him and repent and turn around. And then Paul articulates the future and says, in the future, a man who is raised from the dead will judge the world. There will be justice and there will be peace. And that's where his speech ends. So you can go through this speech when you go home today and, and kind of work through your worksheet and say, notice how Paul does this. He listens first. He builds off what they think. He describes who God is. And then he helps invite people to turn towards a God who's different from the God that they've already given their allegiance to. Um, that's the summary of Paul's approach. What do you think the good news is to the people that are in your life every day? That question I gave you during community time, like just tell some good news. Do that this week, it's part of your worksheet. I think it's uh, step two. Ask some people this week, what's been some good news in your life? And that's not a question that you're supposed to then turn into a spiritual conversation right away. Just find out what do people think good news is like? I got a raise. I'm feeling better than I was before. Um, my, my friend found a job after a long time looking for a job. You know, what, what does good news sound like to the people that, uh, that you're around? And then start to pay attention to what do we think the overall good life story is? What makes a good life in the 21st century? I, I know that I hear stories like this. 
If you work harder, if you try harder, life will get better. Anybody ever hear that from people? If you focus on your own happiness, you will find more peace. Anybody ever hear that one? If you just focus on being a good person, things will work out better for you. Anybody hear that one? If you protect what you have and take sometimes what others have in order for you to have enough, you will be more secure. That one's a little tougher, but that happens, right? There, these are all the narratives that are, that are helping people make meaning out of their lives in, in our everyday space right now. And we don't talk about it like this. We just hear these stories and say, yeah, man, happiness is a good thing. Good for you. Being a good person, that's a really important thing to focus on. I'm glad, I'm glad that you're focused on being a good person. But, but frankly, that's just not what the Christian message says. That's not the Christian story. The Christian story is none of us are going to be a good enough person. And the only way to really see goodness in your life is to partner with the forgiveness and grace and mercy that we see in Jesus Christ and to allow that to transform our hearts and our values so that some good can come out of us for other people and for the world that God loves. So if we walk around saying, yeah, that's fine. You can be a good person. You can pursue happiness. It's all good to God. We're actually not sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with anyone. And I'm as guilty of this as, as others because it's hard to get into these kinds of conversations and to actually say, no, I disagree with you. I don't think that's what life is really about. When I go to church, I hear that all of us are equal, not because we're great or we have money or we don't have money, but just because Jesus loved us so much before we even had a clue what that love was like. That is a terribly different story than most of the stories that people are hearing every single day, and we have to find ways to talk about it as everyday people. So this week, let me invite the band to come back up. This week, this is what I'm inviting you to do, okay? First, step one, on your worksheet, write down your own understanding of the gospel. Step two, find some people and ask them what good news sounds like to them. What's some good news that you've gotten in the last month? Step three, on your worksheet, reflect on what it was like for you to ask some people that question. Was it hard? Did they think you were being awkward? Were you nervous? Were they nervous? How did it go? Okay, reflect on that. And then step four, rewrite the gospel. Rewrite your, your step one version of the gospel in everyday language that you think will make sense to the people you talk to. Is that, does it make sense to you? And then if you want to, you can go back to them and say, uh, here's something that I think about what you shared with me. You don't have to do that. But at least start with these steps. Write down your version of the gospel. Ask people what good news is. Think about how you experienced that conversation and then rewrite your version of the gospel. How might we contextualize, speak about the good news of Jesus Christ with our friends, with our coworkers, with our neighbors? What do they think already? Do they really know what you believe and why you're doing this church thing? You don't have to, this is in no way shoving religion down people's throat. It's actually called authentic friendship and engagement with other people in your life. It's actually called letting, creating space for people to tell you what they really think, what they really believe, why they value what they value and sharing the same from your own heart. You don't have to force anything on them. Just learn to talk about it. Learn to talk about it with me, will you? I think it'll make a tremendous difference in the lives of a lot of people. Let me introduce communion and invite the communion servers to come forward. We believe at Mill City Church that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, 
is the best story. It's the most adequate story for making spiritual sense out of your life. Our celebration of communion each week is one of the practices that we engage in to remind ourselves of that story. As you walk forward here, you don't have to be a member of Mill City Church. You have to be a follower of Jesus Christ to receive the gift that Jesus is offering to you. And when you take a piece of gluten-free bread, it represents the, the body of Christ given freely for you. And dip it in some juice, which represents the blood of Christ that was shed for you at this incredibly high cost to share with you this story that can redefine your life and say, no matter what you've done, no matter where you come from, no matter what your background is, what your family's like, what job you do, doesn't matter. Jesus loves you and accepts you and challenges you to be the person that God has created you to be, to let the gospel story of Jesus Christ transform your heart and your mind and your life and join a community of people who are also doing that. So if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, when we're singing this next song, as soon as you're ready, you can stand up, come down, grab a piece of bread, dip it in the juice. There'll be people along the walls who wanna pray for you. If anything I have said has sparked something in you, just grab them and say, would you please pray for me about this? And they would love to do that. Let me pray for our communion experience. Jesus, we love you. Help us to hear this story afresh this morning, God. Help us to learn to talk about it freely in the public spaces where minds and hearts are being shaped, not in a judgmental way, God, but in a way that people will understand and will feel the amazing gift of your love and your sacrifice and your forgiveness and the invitation to become part of your family. We love you. We pray that this message will sink in for each of us this week and that our lives will be shaped by it. In your name we pray, amen. Come when you're ready.